Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Genesis 35, the 16th verse, gives us a story. If you recall, Jacob had ran away from Laban with his wives, Rachel and Leah. Those of you who don't know the story, this man, he had fled to the household of Laban, running away from the wrath of his brother Esau, from whom he had stolen the birthright. Jacob had stolen the birthright of Esau. And so the story then tells us the mother advises him to run to an uncle called Laban. And Laban had two daughters, at least those that are in scripture, there were probably more, but the two that we know are Leah and Rachel. He falls in love with Rachel, which is a younger one of Leah. And then Laban asks for seven years to work for Rachel. Indeed, Jacob works for seven years for Rachel. When he gets into the bed, he realizes they've given him the older sister called Leah. And then, oh, he goes back to the father-in-law, Laban, what have you done to me? He says, oh, sorry, I'd forgotten. It's our tradition. The younger sister cannot go before the elder. And so he tells him, but then you're going to have to work another seven years. So he works another seven years. And because of love, the scriptures tell us there were but a few days because of the love that he had for Rachel. So seven years is 14 years because Laban was a thief. In Luganda, would call him a muyaye, right? And so indeed he works and then gets this lady. But these two girls struggle to give birth. Eventually Rachel gives birth to Joseph, and then Leah has her own children as well. And um, some of us remember the story um, that he loved Joseph so much, more than all his brethren. Why? Because Joseph was a reminder of his love for Rachel, the wife he thought he should have had. Are you following? Um, but also there's something for us there to learn because this portion of scripture begins at the point Jacob and his family, including Rachel, are moving from Bethel and they are going to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And the Bible tells us Rachel is pregnant of the second child. Okay? The first one was Joseph. And because the brothers are jealous of Joseph, they sell him into what? Slavery. They lied to the father that this man has been what? Eaten by wild animals. So in his head, Jacob and his wife Rachel and everybody else besides the boys buried Joseph that day. So Rachel moved as a woman who did not have a child. There was a delay in her having another child. But also in there, the scriptures tell us she's in labor. The midwife tells her, do not be afraid. You have this child too like the other. Indeed, she has the child, but in the 18th verse, her soul was departing as she was pushing the son, and she called him Benoni, 
Ben-Oni, meaning son of my sorrow, before she died shortly. But his father, the Bible says, called him Benjamin, son of the right hand. Verses 19, so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Now let me explain something interesting here. If you study the Bible, you realize that this was the youngest matriarch to die. Rachel died at the age 40. Rachel died at the age 40, which was rare for a matriarch, a patriarch, men which were under a certain covenant to die. But if you're a reader of the Bible, you can actually understand where it's coming from. And it begins when you examine the relationship that Rachel has with Jacob. Jacob is a man of God. Jacob is a man with a relationship distinctly to preserve the posterity of every seed God calls his own. He's a patriarch by that right. That is why when you're praying, you say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, in the generation of Jacob, it is spoken that the blessings on Jacob were bigger or greater than the blessings of Isaac and Abraham by reason of the progressive generation of blessing as a law that God has set that every generation younger should be blessed more than the generation prior. You understand? So this was a man who had a third generational grace and anointing. Jacob was no small man. He was no mean name because through there, the Savior would come. God was planning a certain posterity. Now imagine he's married to a woman and then one day when they are running from the house of Laban, and I'm going to take us a bit back, she runs with her father's idols, the teraphim. And indeed, Laban did not find them. She sat on them, and the scripture says, she says, oh, father, I'm in the manner of women, as it is in that month. So he could not lift her uh, from them, but she sat on those gods. Remember, Jacob had told Laban, whoever you find with his what? These gods, let them what? Die. They should be destroyed. Why would they carry that? You see? So judgment is already passed on her. Anyway, they didn't get her. They did not find out that she had these gods. But fundamentally speaking, you ask this question. Because Jacob pronounced judgment. He says, whosoever you find with the gods, let him not live. Now, do you realize that Jacob passed or sentenced uh, his wife to death? Because he could not imagine that the God whom he walked with, the God before whom I believe every time he went out and the sheep multiplied, he would come and tell Rachel, this is what the Lord is doing. Remember the time when he's cheated and they had promised him the spotted and speckled animals. And at night, Laban sends his boys to take them out. And then this man has to get animals that are not spotted or streaked. And then he gets trees and then he streaks them and then puts the animals to drink next, looking at the trees that what? That were streaked. And the scriptures tell us these animals produced spotted and speckled animals. This was a miracle because an animal cannot change its color in DNA because it has just observed a tree that has been streaked, except there is a God speaking. And Rachel could see all of that power. Laban tells this man that do not leave me for I have learned by experience that the Lord has prospered me because of you. Everybody in Laban's house knew that he is a success because he had a man called Jacob. And Rachel could see all of that 
and still be connected to a teraphim. If I was talking to couples and I pray one day I have a deeper sermon on this for couples, you'd ask yourself how it's possible that you are a seeker of God at the place where you are and then one day you wake up and realize that your spouse is into some other stuff even darker than you think. I know a man of God a couple of years ago served God for close to 30 years of active ministry, successful active ministry, not a survivor. This guy had seen miracles, the barren gave birth. And then one day he's in the bedroom and he catches his wife witchcraft. After everything she saw, he caught his wife with witchcraft. Of course, the marriage could not continue because he discovered from that day on that they were serving two different gods. And that's the danger sometimes when you're married to assume that because you're one in the flesh, like Ephesians says, and the two shall become one flesh, some of you get the delusion that you become one spirit or that your spirits agree. Spirits can only agree, they don't become one. You cannot be one in the spirit. You can only be one in the flesh, but spirits can agree. And the place of agreement, at least, if this is the Bible, it's healthy for couples at least to be in the same chapter. Because I counsel couples sometimes and you hear one is still in Numbers and the other one is in Revelation. Or you find one in Ezekiel and the other one is in Matthew. So there's already a problem there. The yoking also becomes a problem, not on the precinct of salvation, but now the place where we're seeing things differently. Same God, but from where I see things you don't see. And I've seen even couples which are born again, they cannot go to the same church. Why? Because things have started conflicting. That is dangerous. It's dangerous. In fact, I tell people that there is no couple with a reconciled altar that does not pray every day. It's not possible. Some of you, you pray about everything, but you cannot pray together. You come to church, you go for meetings, you do everything, but you cannot join your hands. There's a spirit that can't allow you to touch her. You understand when it is time for prayer. Couples learn to pray together in turns. It might be two minutes, it might be three minutes, but pray together. Are you following? But also number two, pray for each other. Because I've seen couples who join hands, but they're just praying for everybody else. Our children, our car, our job, but they don't pray for each other. You must have time, not only as a couple, but even individually. Learn to pray for your spouses. Say so that you are in tune and in tandem with what God is speaking because your prayer for your husband might be the only thing to preserve him from the danger of destruction. Your prayer for your wife might be the only thing preserving them from the danger of destruction. I know of a man, he resisted us a couple of years ago. He fought us in the ministry. And you know God is amazing. He can pass judgment. Huh? And it takes two, five, 15 years, but it's judged. So the Lord appears to me one morning and tells me, look for the wife of this man. He needs to make peace with me on what he did to you. Because I'm taking him home. In my spirit, I felt there was a chance for us to negotiate with God to extend his years, like uh, Hezekiah asked God to extend his years. But it was based on his repentance. So I reached out to the wife. 
I did not tell her why or what I said, Mama, I need to meet you. God has given me a word that I need to submit to you. And it's very urgent. It's a matter of life and death. The lady gives me a date and time. It was a 2 p.m. Saturday. I went in the place of meeting, sat there from 2 to 6 p.m., calling her phone, and she's not answering. I sat all those hours because it was a matter of life and death. 6 p.m., about there, I call her. She finally answers, oh, sorry, you know, I was overwhelmed. I'd even forgotten we were meeting. I had even forgotten we were meeting. The next Saturday, her husband died. He died. Not sick. Nothing. Something happened in seconds. And the man was gone. I wish she knew. I wish she knew. And when you're in ministry, especially when you're ministers, you forget to pray for each other. Because it's almost obvious. It's like when we raise kids. Eh? Do you know when these kids come and they see, you know, Pastor Zach, my child, Apostle Grace, my daughter, you know, our kids. When they look at us, they might assume that because they're around us, eh? they know God. Do you know that? We have to take the responsibility to help them understand that you can be under my cloud because you're young, but you need to find your own God. Somebody shout hallelujah. But you see, do you know why God had to judge Rachel out? There are certain things according to the covenant you have as a house that you cannot do because of the vow you have before God. You see? Because every minister has a covenant with God. Man or woman. There are things that you cannot do. And this, you see even what it continues to do. Then you see, because Rachel has died and Jacob loves Rachel so much, he now goes to the right hand servant, the first in line servant of the late Rachel. And then he marries her. This lady called Bila, a slave. Like you remember when uh, Abraham could not give birth, it was traditional in Israel that if a woman would not give birth, she would look for her right hand maid and give her in the exchange to carry the posterity of that household. It was culture. Sarah did it. So when it comes to Rachel as well, because she had died, this man takes on the maid. Her maid, Bila. Now, the first son of Leah, Reuben, reps Bila, the concubine, says that he can break that relationship. But this is a boy who is envious and annoyed that his father has always loved the sister of the mother, Rachel, more than he loved his mother. Are you following? So he's trying to break this such that he can only love the mother, and if you study and read between the lines, you see that kind of anger must have had a foundational influence from Leah. You know, sometimes when couples misunderstand each other and your kids start to grow up, you start having conversations about your spouse. Eh, your mother is a difficult woman. These kids are what? Building rage. They're building anger. They're building anger. And I also want to warn some of you because that could be a sermon on its own. You know, you have a problem with your wife. You call aside these kids 
and tell them everything wrong with their mother. Or you have a problem with your husband and you call these kids and then you speak, you speak. And some of these things you're speaking are true. But it is not your place to break the relationship a man has with his child because the two of you cannot work out. You're responsible in that relationship because you entered it. But this kid is not responsible for that relationship because she did not choose to sit in your womb, to come out of your womb. Now, some of you parents, I must warn you very keenly because you're the reason why your children are destroyed. I have seen kids who only need a patriarchal blessing to deal with their marital destiny. But the mother messed up the relationship that these children had with their father. I've seen kids who only need a matriarchal blessing to raise children right, but you set them against their mother, and so they cannot go. Yet they need a matriarchal blessing as well as a patriarchal blessing. This is the problem with Reuben. Reuben being the first son of Jacob, he could have earned his right as a right-hand man. But he goes on and he's looking at him. He's looking at him. He wants to live an inheritance. Because the Bible tells us that a firstborn was to receive a double portion of every inheritance. Of all the children, uh, Jewish culture, the firstborn used to receive a double portion of an inheritance. He's looking at this guy. He's saying, what am I going to do with this one? He's the firstborn. He's trying to build things in him. And then the guy sleeps with the concubine. He loses his inheritance as a first son. He loses the scepter to Judah. He loses the priestly to Levi. He lost everything he could have carried because he was consumed by the rage of his mother. Don't poison your children against their father or their mother. And usually women do this. Usually. Men, we have for a few men who are like women, but usually women do this. Don't set children against their mothers. Don't set children against their fathers. It's not your space. It's not your part. What happened between you and daddy? It didn't work out. Let's move on. Because they need that blessing. So there are people I see who are struggling to even get married because of the words they've spoken over their father or about their fathers. And some of you don't know the power of patriarchal blessing. Let me tell you, if a woman would change a man's inheritance by putting a younger one in the place of the first one and the hand of the patriarch being laid on that boy gives him that inheritance, don't play with a patriarchal blessing. Don't play. You sit around women who either were not raised by a father because maybe their father passed, or they did not have a father figure, and, and they enter marriage, you'll see they struggle a lot, because they need that voice, whether you want it or not. Whether you want it, you study any woman who has not had a pure voice of a man that is speaking in love to raise her, and not to build a relationship with her, like a love relationship, because there are women who have never had a pure voice of a man telling her this is wrong. The first person who spoke to her told her, you are beautiful, <laughs> you know? And life began from there. You understand what I'm saying? Don't keep these kids away from their fathers. Try. If the worst comes to the worst, at least don't say much. 
leave the rest to God and also keep praying for these people because one day they might need those fathers. The other day I was doing a case. Of course, the guy didn't come to church, but he was telling his children that their mother is a thief. He's telling four, five-year-old kids. And as far as I'm concerned, the story wasn't even true. But he's trying to set a five-year-old kid against the mother. And this girl one day will need her mother because it's only a mother that can teach her to be a wife. You understand what I'm saying? Those things are for the sake of your children. Nowhere to end when you have misunderstandings. Protect them. Because now Reuben's destiny was frustrated because of Leah's indifference. Are you following what I'm saying? Some of your destinies are out of line because of the seeds that were planted to you in your life when you were younger and you've not matured enough to take them out. You've not dealt with certain things. Because your father was a bad man, you hate all men. You hear a statement like, me, men? I'm done with men. Where are you going to go? Huh. Not all men are bad because you had a problem with your father. Not all women are bad because probably your mother had an issue. And you know the problem is the moment you continue setting these children against your spouse or your former lover, a time comes where they grow up and they start weighing. And one day that most painful moment where your boy will say, but if I was a man, would I stand this woman? Boom! Or a girl would say, but if I was a woman, would I marry this man? Now they are starting to know the truth. And then the kid starts to demand, I want to go and see my mother. No, no, don't go, I want. No, 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 I want. I want. Now the war begins. Why? Maybe at one particular point you planted a seed that has now led your child to start choosing who they would rather be with. Don't do it. Even if it hurts so bad, don't seek to explain yourself before a child. Put it before God. Put it before God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Are you learning something? So anyway, back to what I'm telling us. So, Rachel is about death. And she names this child Ben Oni. And this man says, No! This is Benjamin, the son of my right hand. And let me explain what this man has done. What is the son of the right hand? What do we call the son of the right hand? I'll explain it. Can be a son, can be a daughter. But let me explain it. There are three things that a right-hand child represents. Now, if you're living in a corrupt and fallen world where vision is corrupted, you might not understand this because we have politically and otherwise, we have the leftist and the rightist. Eh? And to be left-handed, actually, even from the root languages like Latin, it had a sinister meaning. So people always place bad omens on left-handed people, right-handed people. You know, people always have that issue. Uh, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to interpret this from your fallen world. Otherwise then, you know, some people used to think that it's bad luck to produce left-handed children and then you beat your children to write with the right hand. And well, I'm left-handed and I'm Apostle Grace. So it's no problem. Don't change the child's hand. Teach them to write with a the hand they can write with. But back in the day, it was an omen. Again, it's because of Latin traditions, not necessarily uh, divine purpose. So anyway, back to what I'm trying to tell us here. A right-hand child, when you're a parent and you have two, three, four, five children, this is easier to see. Two, three, four, five children. There is a child who will always have these three things. Number one. And they don't come two, they don't come three, they don't come four. Even if you have a hundred of them, there's that one, number one, 
who, when you come back home and the decision or something was supposed to be done or made, they usually have an idea how you judge the matter. I'm talking to parents who have more than one child. There's always a child who knows how you judge the matter. That's the right-hand child. That doesn't mean that they are better than the rest. And it doesn't mean that you love them more than the rest. In fact, you love all your children the same. You could even love one who is not of the right hand more than this one. But there is one who is chosen by God to design your heart in a matter that they will judge things the way you judge them in your absentia. They don't come two, they don't come three, they don't come four, but there is one. There's always that one. And they always have something of leadership over their lives. They know how to lead things. That's a very important aspect. The second issue is, as you continue to age, there is a child who will most likely care for your need and seek to support you among others. Even though the rest do, there is that one who will always want to look after you more than the rest. Because as you age, even in African tradition, we have that saying of, you know, the sign. The metaphor of old age is a, is a walking stick, isn't it? A walking stick. The Baganda call it Omano Womugo, eh? the child of a stick, meaning they're supporting your old age. Because there are people who have parents and they don't care whether their mother ate or drank. There are people in this room, you have a job, you have things, you have everything. But perhaps you've been working for five years and you've never bought your mother even a shoe. You've never gone to a shop to say, let me buy my father a shirt. Not because you're so poor, but there's a reason why you can't. And you have to examine yourself. So you actually think, by the way, what has this kid ever bought me? Not even a glass of juice. Now, now there's a parent doing like, ay, 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 ay. <laughs> Moina. And it doesn't mean that your parents love you less. But there's that one who will care what size you wear. That's a right-hand child. Lastly, those ones usually know how to preserve posterity when you're gone. They always know. Because you see, especially those of you who have made wealth, as you continue to age, you realize that it becomes harder to manage things when you are away. Who preserves posterity? And some of you forget that when Joseph was begotten, Jacob used to look at him as his right-hand son. Now you understand why later, when the brothers come to say sorry to him, when they discover him as he reveals himself, he says, do not put this charge on you, for the Lord sent me ahead of you to preserve you a posterity. Why? Because he was the true right-hand man, except that when Jacob thought he was dead, it went on Benjamin because they preserve posterity. They know. You see, because I have studied especially Asian uh, countries, Eastern countries, people, many of them know how to prepare children to preserve the next generation. Europe, American, African, we struggle. We struggle. Many kids cannot keep what was left for them. It's usually divided and sold. And many of them are usually cheaper versions and poorer versions of their parents. How do you know? Your children are doing less at 
their age than you are doing at the same age. You're already in trouble. So we need to teach children the virtue of preserving wealth to the next generation because it's not obvious, hello, that because you're rich, therefore your children will be rich. And I've seen these Asians, they know it. They know it. I've studied, I can tell you, culture upon culture, the values are ancient. But many of them take us back to biblical tradition. Now imagine a parent who has five children, but when you look, you don't see anyone of the right hand. You look and say, mm -mm. not Richard. Jack, I tell Martha, oh. So if you're still alive, I want you to know that you are on the journey of failing the next generation because a prudent man, a wise man, leaves an inheritance for his children and children's children. You must, you must establish the right hand. We also must teach our children how to preserve wealth, how to build wealth. Because some of you, like I said, we went to school, didn't we? Many of us. Majority of us went to school. You go back and do an audit. Now, I'm not talking to you who were born in 1996. You don't get this yet. But those of us who are in the 80s, 70s, if you go back to the people who came from very rich families, many of them have not made it in life. So where is the guarantee that with your wealth, your children will make it? If the sample space of all the kids who are rich in school, when you went to school, have not made it, they're either drunk or what, and I saw a few, they lost a young OB in drugs. Very young kid from a very rich family. Brilliant, nothing. Boy died on drugs. They found him in a bathtub. Cold. Are all rich kids uh, by design destined to be destroyed? No. Because I've seen Asians are doing better. I used to handle counts of Indians. I used to handle accounts of Somalis. And, and I saw how these people work. And I was amazed. You find 15, 14-year-old boys running business in the millions of dollars. Recently, there's a young man. He's an Indian boy. He's about 28. He's managing his father's bond. It's billions and billions and billions of shillings. And the boy is level-headed. He has no other life. He wakes up, disciplines himself, sits on that bond from about 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. every day. He does his prayers as a Muslim. Very disciplined kid. You guys, the moment you get very little money, even the way your kids walk, And because you're blind, you can't tell. You have to get to a point where you can discern that this kid is walking because of my wealth and you tell him, walk properly. This is my money. Raise your children telling them, my money is mine and my wife's. <laughs> Give them the pleasantries and conveniences of life, but they must know that they are under a shadow that's going to be taken away. I'll never forget, 13 years old, I just finished primary seven. My father got me and my brother and took us to a factory and told this woman, let them start working. Daddy, work. During that, just times, you know, guys from rich families were going to Miami for holidays. 
You know, I had a guy who went to the UK during that time. By the time he came after three weeks, my God, the boy was speaking British English. British. He could not say, all right, bye. He would say, oh, bye. Oh, bye. So I'm asking him, how's holiday, oh, man? I went to this and I went that and I went to, to, you know, the, to the London Bridge and then I visited this place and, you know, it was cool. Uh, and how, how was yours? I was in a factory. <laughs> making juice. Using bonded glue. And they don't make it. They don't make it. Because some of you, remember, you suffered. Eh? And then you told yourself, the day gets money, my child will not suffer. Let me tell you. These Asians understand it. 12 years, 13 year old, as in China one time, you woo, you get in there, this guy's a shop, he's a millionaire in dollars, and you find he's eight year old, he's in the shop, he's putting things in order, he knows that this is how men are. For you kids in senior four, they are on PlayStation. Holiday makers bash. They put on very high sneakers and then go swimming with Uncle Jason. After swimming, you find a a guy, a boy is 22 and he can't even wash a car? My God. How some of you are raised by some of us? No nonsense. Discipline. My father always used to say discipline. One time he came to school and then he met a, a teacher called Mr. Biamukama and he gave him money and he told him, Kuba ne wakatu Kuba. Aye. He told him, You beat, even at home, we also won. We beat, oh my goodness. So I remember one of those days we overslept in the dormitory. So they were beating. And Mr. Yang were in a line. So they beat you, you get out. They beat you, get out. It was in the morning, about 7 a.m. And so we're in this long line, and he's hitting 3 3. Qua, qua, qua. You go, qua. So he sees me, I was like number eight or nine. He says, Lubega, your father gave me jurisdiction to beat you. <laughs> Won't can you eat for your father alone? <laughs> but they were trying to tell us that a man has to be disciplined. Discipline. You see, because this is the only way I could pastor Aniru. It's the only way. You see? But some of you parents, you, you put Vaseline on your children. Uh, spare the road. Hey, when it demands, be responsible, but hey, you understand? A little. And the kid comes to sense. You're Africans. Ours don't die. <laughs> I mean responsible. Not you kid. I'm not talking about that. No. You know where they <laughs> huh? Huh? But you see, let me tell you, you find kids, they are 40, 40 years. And the guy is still in his father's house. 40? My father, after university at 6 a.m., he told me, Grace, 
wake up and go and look for a job. I told daddy, where do they get jobs at six? He told me, I also don't know, but wake up. <laughs> hey, you look for it whether you want it or not. Why? They are trying to help you understand that especially men, especially men, we are hard workers. We are hard workers. Nothing is going to come easy on you. You have to work hard. Then you find a guy, you know, he says, me, I'm not going to do that job. Yeah? What job did your father do or your mother when they came to Kampala? Well, we're not going to do that job. You're in the glory of a man who paid a price. And you say, I'm not going to do that job. Any job, as long as it brings money, do it. Begin from there and let God bless the next, but do it. My first job, I always tell you, gave me a hundred thousand, but I was a poor so great. You understand? But God is not even looking at that to pay. He's looking at your ethic. Eh? Those are my things of me, I have a master's degree. How can I carry boxes? You'll carry them, brother. You will carry them. You will carry them because they might be the precursor. They might be the bridge to take you to the next level of your promotion. Men work hard. Somebody shout amen. Shout glory to God. So, I see kids and some of you already, your children are starting to. I see some kids and you're like, hmm, this one is working because of their daddy's money. This one is behaving this way. You know? That's how they are. That's how they are. But it's your responsibility to raise children up in the way they should go. Because let me tell you, now I think it began in Europe and now, even now, it's coming here. But most parts, if you've seen, the younger generation doesn't like working. Canada is now bringing people in to work because their kids don't want to go to school. You understand? If he graduates, he wants to be manager tomorrow. Why shouldn't he be? Is this younger generation? No. But they are carrying a box. Ha, ha, ha. They are too cool for that box. They would rather sit back home and watch TV the whole day. Ha. There's a parent clapping in their heart. They are saying, hey, you see the things I've been telling you? Now Apostle Grace has brought them on. I was there, don't worry. I was there too. You know, I was there too. We have the second youngest population in the world. So if we don't teach these people to work, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And I mean hard work. I mean hard work. Boys and girls are like... Anyway, let me continue. To the point I wanted to share. Imagine, and I'm now going to give you a story for you to get the point I'm going to give you. A person goes to a bond to buy a car and buys a car on 70,000 kilometers on the dial. It was shipped from Japan, very good condition, and pays for it. And uh, it's a testimony. It's an extraordinary resurrection because of been walking. And in the same world, another person is going to walk to a bond and buy a brand new car, zero mileage. They're both Christians. They're both born again. And then you ask both of them, why did you buy where you bought? And somebody says, you know, I bought because of my means. And there is wisdom in the present world to spend in your means. Because again, if you spend beyond your means, that's not faith. That's stupidity. 
So, uh, yeah, there's no wisdom there. But, you ask this person, how or who determined the means by which you bought a second-hand car, which is 10 years old? Because if you go, for example, in some countries, they cannot allow a car older than five years to enter their country. Then, this person is buying a car 10 years older than the other in. So who determined those means by which you purchase a car at 70,000 kilometers, second-hand in good condition from Japan? Who determined that when a Japanese man uses a car, they can send it here and you can buy it at a certain price? Who determined your means? But you see, this is older than you. Because when you're going to school, you are prepared that way by your parents. When you are going through high school, you are prepared that way by the systems or circumstances that surrounded your world and the world you're in. Some, especially those of you who are watching me here in Uganda, you came from a third world country. And there are things that are, they are agreeable with a third world country. And that there's a stereotype that is invisible. And then you were raised wired and programmed to disqualify, to think less. You are named. You are programmed in the naming. You are labeled. You're programmed in the labeling. And then eventually you wake up one day and you have a certain thought pattern. You also don't know how, but it also brings the equal measure of blessing and manner of miracle that comes to you. Who's understanding what I'm saying? When you were little, that's not how you viewed the world. At one particular point in your life, your brain could not separate a poor person and a rich person based on what you saw. In fact, at one age, you didn't know the difference between a poor and a rich one until you started getting from the stage of imitation to the stage of identity. It's about seven years, that's when kids start separating classes and, you know, social strata. Before that, everyone is the same. They can even admire a poor dad. You understand? But at one point, you started separating who was rich and who wasn't rich. Then before that, even, for example, your career, if you ask a five-year-old, what do you want to be in life? They don't base it on money. They base it on convenience, then money. You understand? Because there's a convenience. How easy can I do the work that I'm supposed to do? Okay? Or some also probably base it on what they have seen. Dad is a doctor and they want to be a doctor. Their uncle is a doctor, their auntie is a teacher and they say, I want to be a teacher. They don't care the financial implications. They just care for the fun of the job. I have a niece now, she's old. But when she was little, I asked Alexis, what do you want to be? She said, I want to be a pump girl. Say, what do you mean, a pump girl? What do you mean by a pump girl? So you know those girls who are on the petrol station with a pump? Yeah, I want to be that one. I said, why? Alexis is seeing how easy money comes. So she's imagining there's an endless flow of fuel and the girl just puts something there and then she stands there. You just bring your cup, you pay you pay. So it's like, hey, that's the easiest job in the world. You pay. So she's in her mother's car and everybody's looking else, but her attention is on this girl who's counting man, like how easy it is to make wealth. Wow. And you know how those pump girls be? 
Then they put some money here. And then they put others here. Kumbi. <laughs> but Jesus loves that innocence. He says to them is the kingdom. Why? Because their mind is not corrupted by the labels of the world. Their mind is not corrupted by the labels of the world. Do you know what it's like for the right-hand man of Jacob to have been named the man of sorrow? And by the way, there's a very deep mystery. Go and study why Saul, the first king of Israel, is a Benjamite. That even in the permissible will, God would still need to connect to a seed that Jacob trusted. And then later you'll understand why the Saul, again, of the New Testament, which now becomes Paul, he also tells you that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, a stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. Why he chooses that tribe anyway to ordain. Because if I was in the master class, speaking to ministers, I would show us the pattern of God in election. Why do we see a Benjamite coming through Paul? And what's the consequence of a Benoni coming, the spirit of Benoni coming through Paul or Saul, coming into a kingly anointing? Okay. That's for, eh? So let us go back. She names him a son of sorrow. This man says, this is my right-hand man. This is the guy that is in the stead of Joseph. And I see in him all these three, the preservation of posterity, the man that can support me in my old age, the man who sees the way I see. I cannot let him carry sorrow. I cannot label him with sorrow. This wisdom on Jacob did not only end on Benjamin. And the Lord started to show me, some of you in your childhood, you were labeled. Some of you were labeled in your name, the name you have. There have been ones, even in 2023. You know? You hear children being named after. Eh? Names that label them in the spirit. And I've spoken about names, I'm not going to go there. Some of you will be like, yeah, yeah, Apostle, we had. But you see, yeah, I know. I see somebody in the spirit do like, yeah, 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 Apostle, I know. I'm going to change my name. Duh. Yeah, but, but that's not where I am. Some of you, it's not that you carry a bad name. You carry a good name, but spiritual, at one particular point, you are labeled. That moment when you are young and somebody said, you're ugly and it entered your skull. You never said anything, but it has ruined your life in such a way that the first man who told you they were beautiful, you didn't care who they were. It was just an affirming voice in the sea of confusion and destruction in which you have lived all your life trying to affirm yourself. I met a man, he told me for 55 years, he believed that what his father used to tell him when he was young, his father always used to tell him, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid. So he sat in exams as a stupid man. He went to a job as a stupid man. He did everything as a stupid man. He lived life with that conscience as a stupid man and somebody labeled him stupid. It was at 55 that somebody preached the gospel that finally relieved him that he was not stupid. Why? Because he chose a godly label than the label that was given him. And some of you parents have labeled your children. How do you tell a 15-year-old girl you will never get married? That's a label. 
Even you, you'll produce children and they suffer with you. When you're dead, are you going to celebrate the struggles of your grandchildren? No, but you said it because you were angry. You labeled your children. Some of you were labeled at work. Some of you were labeled by a teacher. You know, there was a teacher who had convinced me that I could not do mathematics. And I believed him. Until one day I met a teacher who convinced me that math is easy. That was the first time for me to get 85 in math paper. I'd never seen it. But somebody had convinced me ever since I was young that I could not count. Yet my mind could work. But somebody had planted the seed. I thank God that it was redeemed. But do you know how many people are not where they are because somebody planted the seed in your spirit and you believed it? Do you know what it's like for a girl growing up that she knows she's ugly? Do you know how many times you've tried to change yourself to look the picture of what you think is beautiful, but every time you look before that mirror, it worsens because you're trying to still heal yourself of a label that was put on you, subconscious. Do you know being in a third world country, you are already labeled? You're named? Are you following what I'm saying? One time I saw, I think it was a British fellow, he was analyzing races and he was saying, oh, you know, he started mentioning average IQs of different races, the Chinese, uh, you know, the English Caucasian and, you know, the Arabs and the Americans and the Africans. And he said that Africans have the lowest IQ and that 90% of Africans, he said this, they are below average, 78 and below. And a man said this on television. And if you check that YouTube video, some people are saying it's true. Somebody labeled us. And let me tell you why. If you have ever gone on those IQ tests, I did one and I scored very highly, by the way. <laughs> very highly. I was close to instant. But it's the truth. I'm not sorry. I'm not even lying to you. You see, is it Mensa or something? Now, when you look at these IQ tests, they are based on a pattern of an educated mind according to the integers and language of that education. That does not necessarily mean that because you've put boxes and a man is to figure out where to zero a certain box, therefore he's smarter. No, that's their world. I wish they also come to the world where we had to survive wild animals by sensing where they are. I wish they came to the world where our fathers, grandfathers used to sail seas without compasses, but they knew where everywhere was. Even if they were in the middle of a sea, they knew where they were. Do you understand what I'm saying? But you see, somebody's using something somebody invented and he's concluding that a whole race is stupid because it's in the version and method of how their mind is educated. We also have our own ways to check you. Some of them cannot survive if they lived here for two weeks. See, that is why I hate racism. When it comes to Fanero Ministries, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, color, we are all the same people. Don't ever bring that nonsense here. We have even people here in our generation who are divided over tribes. Some tribes think they are more superior than others. Some tribes think they are 
better than others. Some tribes think they're smarter than others. We also know tribes they call stupid, but there I also know kids from some of those tribes who are first in class. Eh? And I also know kids who are coming from the tribes they call smart and they were the last. They were always the ones escorting us. So it's not about tribe. It's not about color. It should never be said or done, especially in the house of Jesus Christ. It should never. But somebody labeled, I have been in places I remember one time, not even once, even recently, not far. I was going to, you know, that first class line, business and first class, and the guy stops you. Beep. Please go there. I tell now I'm small, so. Sometimes at the airport, I put on sandals, those Nike things. And so, we told the madam, but they told us to come here. I said, no, go there. So he said, but we are business class. He says, okay, come. Huh? I saw it in Qatar. I flew first class, business class, first and business class in Qatar there together. I was the only black man on that flight. And they took me off the flight with this placard, Grace Lubega. And they say, we are sorry, your business or slash first class seat for the next flight has been given to another person. I remember I was the only black man on that flight. The Lord told me, this is because of your color and who you are. I said, no. Thank God I had somebody working there and then they called them and then I refused and refused and refused. Eventually, they gave me my seat. Then I get on that flight for that last leg and guess what? As the only black man again in first class. So, I walked in the back to see who they were trying to substitute my seat for and there was this guy on three seats. They gave him three seats and the first class service and he was a white man. Why on anybody on that flight, why would they look for a black man to say, this one can get off? Because somebody was trying to label me. Do you understand? I've seen it where you enter first class and the guy says, sir, 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 it's that way. Economy is that way. One time I thank God, God brought an Indian who was behind me. So I was entering like this first lane. And then the guy says, hey, excuse me. Hey, go the other side. This Indian man had been with me on flight on the first leg. Then I said, but I'm first class, I'm business class. So I said, you are? Sorry. And the Indian was behind. I saw fire. Tell him, tell him, these people, they are not responsible. <laughs> Why do you think he cannot be first class? Is it because he's small and black? Hey, you people, you're too much. Where is your manager? I'm going to call them. I say, go on, brother, go. Me, I'm like this. This is not acceptable. These people, these things you're treating people. This is this man. I saw him. He was on the first leg. He's in first class. Ho, ho, ho. The man fought for me. And the Bible says in Exodus 14, and the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. But because somebody was trying to label that a man of my color and skin and weight cannot afford first class. And I forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Are you following what I'm saying? But the fact that I'm in first class, it means I refuse to be leveled. I refuse to be leveled. I refuse to be leveled. So, that's why I said, 
people can label you. Your third world, went to a bad school, you come from a poor family, you're from a poor tribe. All of those labels are there. But thank God for the gospel. Because that one, whether you're from the poorest family or the richest, it says you're the head and not the tail. That one, whether you're short, you have a big nose or a small one, it says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That one says whether you have a job or not, whether you have connections or not, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are given everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called you to glory and virtue. The gospel has delivered us from any stereotype, any level that men like us were to carry in this world. And even here as I'm speaking, I have people, the things God has done in your life, he has already changed the label of your father's family. He has already changed the label of where your people come from. There are people here, the family you come from, almost everybody's a drunkard, but you are sober because the gospel is laboring you right. There are people here, you come from families, they have children out of wedlock, but you are labeling right, right now because you got married before an altar. There are people here, you're probably the first graduates in your family. If people in your family don't go, do I have a witness? Come on. But you went to school, you have graduated. Some of you, your members, your family members never left the district where you are grown, but you've gone on flights and went into nations and changed them because the gospel has labeled you. Come on, somebody shout amen. Some of us where we come from, people don't come from there. But the gospel labeled you. The God who knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He said, I don't care the color. I don't care the tribe. I don't care the skin. I don't care the education. I have called this woman for a purpose bigger than she has. Or is known of her. God is labeling you there is a voice, whether you knew it or not, that said you were not going to graduate. And that voice somehow, with your knowledge or not, said, no, she's a graduate. No, he will get married. No, he will live past 40. No, he will live past 60. The other day I was reading the statistics released last year. And they are saying that by virtue of the fact that you're in Uganda, the fact that you are in Uganda, your life expectancy is 64 years. I said, no. There's a voice that says with long life, whether in Uganda, whether you eat one meal a day, whether you eat cassava, whether you don't eat oil, whether you don't drink water. Listen, he has said with long life, I will satisfy you and I shall reveal to you my salvation. We refuse to die at 64. We shall go to our graves full of age as a stock of wheat in its season because we refuse to be labeled by the statistics of men who have put us in the mean mark. You and God said we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We refuse. Those are cars that wild people drive. No! You'll drive fast wild cars. You're not Ben or knee. You are Benjamin. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because you are seated in Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
So you're a right hand child. You will not fail. Let people fail, but you will not fail. Yes, some people sunk in COVID, but you will not sink. In the mighty name of Jesus. When there is a casting down, for you it shall be a lifting up. I refuse to be labeled by the labels they give Africans. I refuse to be labeled by the labels they give our tribe. By the labels they give our color. By the labels they give our education. I refuse. Because the Bible has labeled me. I saw the other day the army of South Korea marching. The Chinese, they all march in one band. Nothing mixing, nothing wanting. Everything, you see their legs. Eh? You've seen those videos where like those Chinese or South Koreans are marching. And they make this sequence and organization of lines and you're like, wow. That is why when I'm telling setup boys that we are setting up, I tell them, when you're arranging a funeral chair, get a ruler and make sure you measure a straight. Saturday, you know, in Africa, we can make lines too. Set the best sound. Give them a world-class production. TBN saw it and said, we can work with this. God TV saw it and said, this is world-class. Desta looked at it and said, this is world-class. Faith World TV saw it and said, this is world-class production because we refuse to be labeled. I don't know who I'm talking to. Those of you who are running businesses, run your businesses like they're first class. You're running your supermarket. Run it like it's a first class supermarket. The feeling somebody should feel when they enter a big supermarket in the United States is the same feeling they should feel when they enter your little supermarket somewhere in Nansana. Give them service that they will say that this person has something on them that makes them different. That is why when we're teaching, we take our time, we make research, we read, you reconcile notes, you understand, you connect dots, so that when you start preaching, do you know, somebody came to me and told me, up to today, I didn't think you were Ugandan, I said, aha, 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 some people think I'm from Nigeria, some people think I'm from where, somebody told my auntie that they're English, this boy speaks, it cannot be English, taught her, oh, no, they don't know, born and raised in Uganda, but I refuse to be labeled. Glory to God. Put your hand on your head and say, I refuse to be labeled. <laughs> Choir, when you're singing, let them ask, is that hill song? Is that elevation? Is that funeral? That's why when they're dressing, I want them smart. Who are these guys? No, they're from Africa. Which country? Uganda. I see choirs of Europeans and Americans putting on t-shirts and jeans. And I told them I don't want t-shirts and jeans here. Dress like you are children of God. Put on modest dressing and look smart for the kingdom of God. We don't live in the shadows of labels. No, the gospel has labeled us. He says, I shall make you a wonder. That's a label. Oh, everything must be done in excellence. If the service begins at nine, nine, we are starting. Whether there are two or three people. Excellence. We're not yet there, but we're going there. 
come in and thank God for the message. Thank God for the label by which you've been labeled by God. Come on, thank God. I know a God who's merciful and kind, faithful and gracious. Thank God. Of his eyes, the thought that fills his heart every morning, noon, and night. He loved me when I didn't care and was patient till I kept running back into his arms. Come on, sing it. Turned my life around Made me a shining star His glory to reveal I will worship forever Forever Because this God is too Look at me. He took me from the merry clay, set my feet upon this rock, and standing in his righteousness. Oh, he took away my sin and stain, gave me a brand new name. His beloved. spoken upon our lives we refuse the labels that were labeled on us and made us victims of circumstances of other men's perspectives other men's intuitions other men's opinions other men's interpretations other men's reasonings other men's logic and we choose to apply ourselves only to what you have said is true about us. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are going forward and upward only. The path of the just shines brighter and brighter unto a perfect day. You will not struggle. You will not fail. Give the Lord a cup of praise. 
If you're sick in your body, God has healed you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. You're healed. You're healed. Broken families, God is restoring. Dysfunctional homes, God has had my prayer. Fiends, God is going to provide in the name of Jesus. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Wherever you are, you say, today, I want that Lord. I want that Jesus. Repeat this as after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth from today that you are Lord and Savior of my life. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.